Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the award-winning Best New Content FCA podcast, The State of Play. I'm Martino Puccio. Alongside me is Matt Santangelo Pepperisha. Out again with, I believe it was a wisdom tooth, Matt. Um, so <laughs> a late scratch just, here. I mean, this guy, this guy's hurt more than Neymar, and Neymar just picked up another injury. This guy's always missing something, toothache, hurting his ankle playing. I think it was basketball one time. When he's available, though, man, he's on. Like he's he's chef's kiss. Like he's he's on his he's on his game, but. We carry on without him, of course. And um, as you mentioned, FCAs, we were, it was announced. That was the news we were waiting to share with you guys for the past handful of weeks really since we found out. Uh, we have officially been crowned the gold winner for Best New Content Creator at this year's Football Content Awards. Now, we would have been receiving the award in London at Tottenham Stadium, of course, with COVID being in play. That obviously didn't happen. However, we are still truly grateful for those of you who have showed up on social media to continuously support what we're doing and also put those votes in, in for us. It, it means so much. And I, I think I speak for Martino and Pet when I, when I say that you know, 20, 2020 has been um, a very important year for us. And I think what we have achieved this year as a podcast um, amongst us three, but also you guys as the listener, wouldn't have been made possible without the, the, the community we've built together. So I just want to say thank you to everyone who has shown us support this year and has made 2020 a really special one for us. Yeah, um, tons of accomplishments. Also, thanks for over 2,000 followers on Twitter as well. Mm. So it was great to get those accomplishments within the same day. Um, the recognition has been great. I just you know can't be happier um, for everything just going our way right now. Um, and it's a testament to everybody that's been listening um, and really can't do it without you. It's been great ever since we, I mean, we didn't restart. We just took a couple weeks off because the pandemic and everyone was just busy with everything. And then once we, you know, may have the mini relaunch, it was just, you know, take off doing great, getting great um, guests, great listeners um, added to everything, the graphics that we were putting up on Twitter as well. It was just so great going live on the Periscope. So it's just been so much content, the YouTube page as well, sponsorships. It's just, um, it's just another year for growth. Uh, this podcast is still very young and there's a lot more room for growth. We haven't even hit a uh, hundred episodes yet. So we're still, we're still going to have to get there. Um, that's the next goal, 10,000 followers. Um, on Twitter and we just keep growing on all other platforms. So don't forget to follow the Instagram as well. We're not, we're not as great with that, but um, yes. But anyways, uh, in any event, aside from awards, there was obviously tons of football going on and uh, the UCL group stage wrapped up, Matt. A um, couple of surprises, not that big surprises in my opinion. Um, the two, I mean, the biggest name that dropped out of everything was Inter um just another disastrous group stage for them that's three straight years they have not made it out of the group I mean at first it, it was a nice accomplishment for them last year they had a really tough group with Dortmund and and Barca but this year it was just totally inexcusable for what have happened what has happened um especially after you know finishing one point off the title having all this money invested this Christian Eriksen situation it was just disastrous for them and then you go look at Manchester United um you know, and this wasn't even you know Rayola's fault, in which a lot of people like to go do and and talk about that. Oh, he made these comments now, but the fact was this: 
Paul Pogba came off the bench and was starting to make an impact for them. It was the only reason that they were coming back late into that game. Otherwise, it was just, you know, another disastrous one. They're going to Europa League. Real Madrid survived. Barca didn't look great. Juve came back, won their group. Uh, Messi was the only one with a pulse on that team, contrary to the idiots that are on the internet um, thinking that Messi didn't do anything because he didn't score. That just shows the the lack of knowledge a lot of people have and understanding. Um, but yeah, all around, there was nothing too shocking, um, in my opinion. Lots of countries doing well, Italy, England, um, and the draws. So, I mean, we, we have to talk about these draws just because Look, I mean, there is a lot of favorable draws for some teams, and then a lot of teams are still stuck in in tough matchups. So for me, Matt, the one that grabbed my eye instantly for me was probably Barca against PSG and then Atletico against Chelsea because I think that one's going to be one of the more balanced matchups for sure. Um, Leipzig is definitely interesting now. Um, especially with the Jota injury. So we're going to see how Liverpool is going to have to mar- uh, manage all their forwards because they're going to be getting a lot more strain and, and playing time over the next two months. Um, and another thing that Jurgen Klopp didn't have to do was play Diego Jota in that match when they were all locked up to go to the next round. Um, you know, Dortmund Sevilla is going to be interesting as well. Sevilla not going in their favorite competition in the Europa League. They get Dortmund. Holland was out. Um, for, for that last stage, he's been injured, but they just did just fire Lucien Farvet, which we're going to get into after. Um, look, I think Juve, Man City, Bayern have to really love where they're at. I think other than that, I think some of these matchups are going to be very tough, and that that is for Liverpool as well. I think Leipzig is going to be difficult for them, and especially if they wrap up uh, Dominic Sabazalai. There is no cup dies, Matt. It was the first first time last year that they introduced it. That's when Holland joined Dortmund and was making an impact. Again, it's this is um, you know, this isn't a dominant CL. There's not a clear cut best team outside of Bayern. I think there's a lot of toss ups. There's a lot of question marks. Um, yeah, for, for for me, it's just really Bayern's the favorite in this. All these other matchups can go different ways. I wouldn't be shocked if Gladbach came in and beat City. City's really not as strong as, you know, some people lead you to believe or even odds makers for betting because they're considered one of the favorites. I think PSG is going to actually beat Barca. I don't I don't really see Barca giving them that much uh, of, of issues. They're just really not it for me. And especially, like, with more injuries piling up, more, you know, distress in that situation with Messi's, uh, you know, contract situation looming where he's going to be leaving for free, most likely, you know, it's just not, it's just not great for them. Um, yes. I don't know what, what matchup caught your eye. Who do you think got pretty unlucky here? I think Lazio unfortunately got unlucky, but Hey, I mean, you finished second in your group it's going to happen. Um, I don't know. I like, there's a lot of more even matchups and there's uh, like, I don't, I wouldn't be shocked. I would only be shocked if Lazio beat Bayern. Other than that, like if anyone else beats anyone, maybe Porto too, I wouldn't be shocked. You know what I'm saying? Like these matchups aren't like, there's this, you know, Goliath versus David. It's, it's really not like that. I think there's a lot of decently uh, pretty good teams, but no one's fantastic. No one blows me out of the water with, their quality and their consistency. Everyone had issues in the group stage. And, you know, that's mm. the Real Madrid's of the world. It's PSG's, 
Man City handled their group easily, but they had an easy group. You know, I can't take away anything from Man City, especially considering their history. They can't even make a final. You know, so for for me, this is the competition I like to see. Wish it was just a little bit more quality within it in general. There are quality teams, but there isn't anyone, you know, that we're used to of last decade where it was Bayern, it was Real Madrid, it was Barca that are just such great teams that are making finals and making runs with some of the best players. So, yeah, for me, um, it's going to be an interesting draw. Uh, so let me know what you think. Yeah, sure. So real quick, I just want to go through the through the actual matchups. I'll give you like a little bit mm-hmm. on each and then we can kind of keep this keep this train moving to the next topic. But you have Mönchengladbach City. I think, as you mentioned, there's there's some room there. Maybe Mönchengladbach are a little bit of a, a getting a little bit of like an Antalanta type vibe. I know a lot of people were maybe looking at the, their group when they were, you know, when this whole thing kind of played out and thinking, ah, there'll probably be a team that maybe gets some points, maybe kind of is in competition, but eventually goes into the um, Europa League. And sure enough, as you know, as you alluded to, Inter disappointing the way they did, it kind of opened the door for, you know, some of these teams to kind of break in and, you know, you know, stun, if you will. And I think Mochen Gladbach, we all knew they were a pretty nice young team, but I don't think anyone was really expecting them to get out of that group. I think when you looked at the structure of that group, I think they were a team that, um, again, has some players of, wor- of worthy worthiness in this competition, but they're young and you really don't expect a lot of times um, in, in a group that difficult to get out there. So for me, I think there's some, there's some interest and intrigue in that direction. I think city are, are beatable. They're vulnerable. They're not the same city that we've, you know, have known in previous years so that should be a fun one I think City will still do what they got to do I just think they have the coaching they have the personnel and um, you know knockout stages this has been a competition they've really tried to put a lot into and a lot into winning so I, I expect them to show up in this one Lazio Bayern I'm not going to go too much into this I think Bayern as the, the t- defending champions and uh, you know now currently tr- uh, trouble winners you know they still hold all those those accolades at the moment and those honors they're the favorites, in my opinion, to win this competition. And Lazio, uh, they've in, in the league, you could even see they're not the same team as they were last year when they were you know, fighting tooth and nail with Inter and Juve for the title in Serie A. Immobile was going off in his goals, and Luis Alberto was ticking. Those two players were really pivotal for them. So it seems like a different year for Lazio. I know they got to the Champions League, and it was a really good achievement for them um, after so many years out of it. But I think Bayern's going to take care of business. I think they just have too much depth, too much quality. They're getting, they've gotten Davies back. And when you get him back, when you add him to the, to the equation, they're just too strong in my opinion. I think they're easily a top, top contender for to win this thing again. I let it call Chelsea. That's probably the, the tie for me that I think is the most intriguing. Uh, obviously mm-hmm. I think they can kind of go either way. I think that's probably, if you look at the odds, Martin, I know you're a little more invested in that sort of thing than I am. That's probably the eve, most even odds, and it's probably it can swing either way. So Chelsea have been – they've shown a vulnerability. A lot of young players in that squad. I know Olivier Giroud's caught for him, and he's been really on fire for them in, in some really big games down the stretch of the group. But overall, they're obviously a team that's young, a lot of inexperience, and in this competition – we all know what Atletico is capable of. And, you know, we talked about it talked about it on previous episodes that we think that maybe they're the favorites to win La Liga. So that can be a really tough um, challenge for, for Chelsea. Leipzig-Liverpool, there's a lot of, you know, uh, parallels to be drawn between some of the former players there and the ties that some of those players have to one another. That's going to be really fun to see. And I think, you know, is that an upset potential? I think it could be with Liverpool having all their players out. Not all of them, but... You know, we all know Van Dyke and Gomez, and you mentioned Jota. 
it's a Liverpool team that is still strong, does have still those household names, but it seems as though they are a little bit more beatable after Leipzig, especially picked up that little extra momentum getting out of that group over Manchester United. Porto, Juve, Juve are the favorites, and that's what I'm not going to go too much into that. Even with them not playing as strongly as they are, they got Ronaldo. It's Ronaldo Cristiano just has Ronaldo, that factor about him. Mm. Yeah, he's just he's the type of guy that even if Juve is not really putting their best foot forward, he can get you one or two goals over two legs, and away you go into the the, the, the quarterfinals. Barcelona, Paris Saint-Germain, love that one. I think with you know Neymar, Messi, those two players, there's, especially with the comments being made in the media, how Neymar would love for Messi to uh, kind of you know, be playing with him and those, them two guys kind of rekindling that relationship that was at Barcelona previously. And for everything you mentioned, you know, maybe this is his last Champions League round, right? His Champions League draw, Messi. So there's going to be a lot of focus on that as well, ultimately to see how far Messi can take this Barcelona team that is devoid of consistency, quality at the moment in terms of the sum of their parts Energy. and just getting the results that a club of, they should, a club of their stature should be getting. And then the last two, Sevilla Dortmund, Another toss-up. I like Sevilla as a club. Mm. I think they, you know, they have that you do have that kind of Europa League DNA. They're historically a very strong team when it comes to that competition. Um, Dormant, you know, you mentioned Favre, you know, getting getting sacked and you know uh, some injuries to that squad. I think you're going to have Holland back in time, which is a good thing for them. I think he's out until January, so we'll have to wait and see. They don't feel as though they're as strong as they were last year when they had Sancho clicking and firing on all cylinders. They had Hakimi, Holland, as you, as you as we mentioned, go joining in January. So a lot of upsets here. And of course, at the Lotteria Madrid, you know, the whole thing going on with Papo Gomez. I mean, when you have your captain potentially out the door in January, doesn't really bode well for you because I think in those <laughs> moments where maybe there's other players in that squad that are um, in better form or a little bit more influential in terms of, you know, Gasparini and his style. I think it's, it's, it's obvious that Papo Gomez is a vital component to that team. He's, uh, usually at the heartbeat of every sort of attacking sequence that they have typically that results in a goal. Um, he's creative. He can dribble. He can do so many things for you. And I think you, when you add in the fact that he is the captain and he's been through so much with this club and getting them to this point where they are now, even Real Madrid not being the Real Madrid we've come to know, they're battle-tested, Martino. They've been here before. And you kind of got a sense that this could be a difficult one for them. If they're able to rekindle that same magic we saw last year, then who knows? But yeah, this this... I, I would agree with you. I think this is a really balanced round of 16 as far as there being maybe one clear favorite in Bayern. And then the rest, you kind of feel that there is room for some Cinderella stories. Yeah, there, I mean, there is. I think I think there's always that opportunity for that because so many times we um, we forget that, you know, clubs are in certain leagues where they have a little bit more breathing room in terms of the position that they want to be in. For example, like, Sevilla isn't going to break their backs if they're not in first place in La Liga. Like that's not what they're chasing. So they're not going to be having to play their, excuse me, their best guys week in, week out. Right. So they're able to get some rest in there. Whereas a Barcelona, for example, they're not doing great in the league. They need to focus more on that because if they don't make champions league, like, you know how disastrous that is on top of their financial situation. That is so, so messy on no pun intended that, you know, if he leaves too, what kind of situation are they going to be in? So they might, you could see them potentially put all their eggs in one basket in this situation. Obviously they're going to, they're going to be trying, but they got a poor matchup and they, and they might really be out for the round of 16. And, and it's just really something that's just a mess there. 
Um, and again, you know, like I would like to think Porto has the quality to knock with Juve. I think they're going to play it tight, but just like, how can you go against Cristiano Ronaldo in this competition? Like too many times, like, look, I get it. Sometimes he doesn't put together the best 90 minutes. And truthfully, if we're just looking at goal scoring output, yeah, he did better than Messi in that regard, but I don't think he really outplayed him that to be honest, in that last match. It really wasn't something like, look at Cristiano Ronaldo. Like, he's levels above what Messi is doing right here. I'm sorry, but if you put if you put Cristiano on Barca and switch Messi, like, it's just not the same. And you know what? It's, it's always, like, unfair, and I get these arguments that the two best by far um, that we've seen, but it's just, it's just different, and it's a different situation, and he knows what's expected of him, and everyone gets out of his way on that team and and they're able to understand what he needs to do in order for them to win. But something, something about, you know, Barca just doesn't sit right with me at all. And I've said this for years now with their transfer policy and it's finally catching up to them. They miss big on every single massive target. And this is what's going to happen. Like they're going to have to rely on individual brilliance. And as of right now, Messi's not stepping up like that. Like it, they're just like dropping matches that they shouldn't be dropping. Um, they're not playing up uh, to the great competition. You know, when they beat Juve, that was more so I think about, you know, Juve not having their best guys and they're not playing that great in the league as well. But now they're slowly turning that corner. Um, so, yeah. And again, I like Atletico Chelsea. I think Atletico goes through, man. I really don't trust Chelsea that much. I think I think Lampard's still going to have to figure some things out. They're a very young side. Um, their defense and, and goalkeeping has improved immensely, but again, it's just, there's, a, there's no one that really, you know, I could say again, outside of Bayern, that's like, okay, they got this in the bag. Dortmund, who knows, maybe the managerial change will, you know, put them in a good position, kind of like what happened to Bayern last year. Obviously the quality difference in the team is just absurdly <laughs> like drastic, but they were underperforming, and that's something we're going to get to. But we should move on to the Premier League. And we had a lot of tweets over the summer where we were talking about uh, post-COVID um, and that return to finish off last season. It was every Monday, happy days for, for us and Pet because Milan and Arsenal were playing great. Milan carried that over. Arsenal just went in the complete other direction. They're just, they just nosedive south. This is, you know, a lot of times we keep saying, like, this is the worst Arsenal side since, you know, before Wagner showed up. This is, like, the worst Arsenal side I've ever seen. And it's not even – like, they're, they're just abysmal. They have no life to them. And this and this runs much deeper than people would like to admit. They, you know, put a lot of trust in Mikel Arteta. I don't think there's any – solidification on who's calling all the shots with that club they don't do a great job at all in my opinion of selling off players and getting the situation and there's reports that Lucas Torreira is already going to be returning from Atletico so that's something they're going to have to deal with this Otsil situation is a disaster Lacazette has declined immensely I mean they're getting a couple of good players from there but Pepe hasn't even come close Mm -hmm. To, to that price that he was, you know, acquired for. And at the end of the day, like, you could point, you could make excuses, oh, this player's not in this right position, this, the manager just got here. But what is it? 
you can't you can't have it both ways. You can't say, oh, this player's not having a fair time here. Arteta's not given enough money here. The club is in a situation with COVID that they're not able to spend. Like, there's too many excuses. They mm-hmm. fucking suck. And they've been dog shit. And I just keep on seeing all these excuses for this club and, and how they're supposed to get back there. And you know what? There's a lot of realistic fans that are out there. And Arsenal Football TV is, you know, that's one of the, the outlets that, you know, has has the truth sayers coming out and calling it calling a spade a spade they suck and they've been disastrous in almost mm-hmm. all facets and they and and you know it was funny that they wanted to point fingers at oh once this guy leaves this will turn around mm-hmm. ivan gazidis they yeah. left two years ago now man well what's the fucking situation like they, like it's re- it's really bothering me because they don't they don't really point towards the right people in the situation and I you point towards the cronkies and it's i think fault. it's yeah i well i mean what we, we it's funny too because i think when we first started this podcast i think even predating your arrival in the in, in the state of play you know equation here martino we had you know many guests come on and speak on arsenal and what was going on at the club and, and obviously you know, you know we have pet you know on a consistent basis chiming in on that but it, this has been boiling over for a long time and i think you know everyone pointed to the Gazidis, right? Well, you know, I, it's funny too because I have a, I have a tweet, you know, kind of stowed away in my drafts, and I'm ready for, ready to to push that thing into existence. But it's funny how many Arsenal fans chirped at Milan when they got Gazidis, as if it was, oh well, we got rid of the problem now, he's yours now, and all of a sudden Arsenal were going to make this sort of massive turnaround, and everything that mm. they were struggling with was attributed to having Gazidis at the helm. I think the exact not the exact opposite because I think honestly the play on the field hasn't been that good at all for Arsenal to put it you know, politely but Gazidis has really done a really good job with Milan as far as the commercial side of things and, and helping you know, kind of essentially rebuild his reputation in, in as far as be, in being an executive in a top league and Arsenal have shown so much regression I mean you know you look at the players they've won I mean you're thinking that attack with Lacazette, Aubameyang, who they just gave a massive contract to, and Nicolas Pepe. Yeah. I mean, you're not talking a lot of young players with you know things to prove, small fees where they're developed. You're talking quite a bit of money spent on on, on players you're expecting to be delivering on a consistent basis. Players you've invested in multiple areas of the squad, and they're going down the tubes to put it, you know, again to put it politely, they're not showing growth. And for the longest time, I thought Arsenal, not all Arsenal fans, but some fans in general, and I don't think this is just necessarily tied to Arsenal fans specifically, because I see this with multiple fan bases, including my own, that, you know, our own with Milan. Oh, there always seems to be a lot of insecurities and deniability. Well, if we just get this guy, you know, oh, well, this one, ha- this happened, this, this happened this way because of X or Y, this guy involved didn't do his job. If we just do this, we'll be okay. We'll be on the right track. And I think there's a lot of not looking at the bigger picture, not really you're peeling back the, the veil and pulling back the curtain to see what the actual root of the problem is. And you ask any Arsenal fan right now, if they take a lie detector test and they tell you that they're confident this team could turn around the second half, they're not confident. I'm not saying that they can't you know, make some sort of jump up the table because I don't think they're going to get relegated. And I think they'll be able to be okay to clear at least that part of it. But my goodness, Martino, I mean, you look at the players they've got in and you're saying this team is so far underachieving. And you can't just strictly let Mark Mikel Arteta off the hook. I understand he's a new coach. I understand he has, you know, 
um, the ties to Arsenal and from his playing days. But if you get on your knees and sing your praises when he's winning the right. FA Cup and exactly. the Community Shield you, you and they're playing well. Say, yeah. oh, Arteta's, oh, he's the guy. He's done this. Look what he's done already. Yeah. He's our guy. But then when he has a slip up and the, the, club, the club is not heading in the right direction, you have players like Grant Chaka and you know all these guys just the, with their theatrics and antics on the field, it looks like a circus. And someone's have to ha- someone has to have accountability for that. Cronkies, they seem to be doing the same old crap that they do. The fans are obviously irate with them. They have been for years. Then you're looking at the players who are not, you know, living up to the shirt and the badge and the expectations that, that come with that shirt. And then you have Mikel Arteta. Well, while he is a young coach, you're hiring the guy to do the job. You're not, and he's not coming into a team that, oh, well, they're a young, they're a young team. They're a team that's going to, you know, try and build a project like a Wolves, for instance, right? Coming from the lower division trying to build something, spend, invest in their coach and their club, and then you know, make that next step. This is Arsenal. This is one of the top teams in England. And in terms of their global you know, uh, brand, one of the more popular teams. You're not just going to come in and say, well, you know, we got to give it time. You know, Mark Keller and Teta. No, you need results. It's a results-based business slash sport, right? Because I think you have to kind of lump those two in together. So I don't know where Arsenal's headed in this point. I don't know if, if Mikel Arteta lasts the full season because I think you can't – on one end, you want to give the guy the, as much rope as you can to you know, turn this thing around because obviously changing coaches midstream could be very challenging. But on the other end, you can't avoid relegation here. I mean, you can't – I mean, not, you can't uh, 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 tease and flirt with relegation in the second half. So I'm curious to see where, where things go moving forward with this Arsenal team. But as of right now – Pet's lucky he's not on here. Maybe that's why he bad after this episode. Yeah, I mean, they're just by far the most pathetic, big, quote-unquote, club in all of Europe right now. There is no one that is more embarrassing. And it's not for me. I, I'm not trying to pick on them. But when we get these expectations in here and we have all of this – like, Arteta never managed – a first team in his fucking life. And we had everyone saying that he was going to be the next best thing. Like, first of all, now I think it's to an extent it's warranted the criticism, but then there's also people driving at home that he's not good enough yet, but you know what? It comes with the territory. You take the job as Arsenal manager. This is what's going to happen. You struggle. You play like dog shit. Like this is, this is what's going to happen. And again, this is everything and why he deserved more praise than anyone because people liked pointing fingers at him too was Arsene Wagner. That guy was holding everything together. Like everyone knew what their transfer policy was. You remember when Luis Suarez wasn't purchased because they were nickel and diming Liverpool over the transfer fee. And like whether or not like Suarez was going to agree to go there. You, you, you see comments now and videos resurfacing of the type of guys that they're getting into their club and the types of role models like Granit Shaka, And I know Pat, it would piss him off is that that is not a person that deserves to wear the captain's armband for that club. No way in hell. And I don't know if you saw the video making the rounds on the internet of Patrice Everett talking about when he was sitting with Thierry Henry and they wanted to go watch the Arsenal game. And they turned on the television and Granit Xhaka was the captain for one of the matches. I'm not sure what match it was. And the second Thierry saw that, he said, he, he just turned off the TV. And Patrice Everett was just like, what, what, what's, what's the matter? Like, why? He's like, I cannot watch my club be captained by this guy. 
and, and and it proven to be true that he's not that type of leader because he gets subbed off, takes his shirt, throw it on the ground. They, you know, and and apparently he was telling Patrice as well on how they treat him there as the greatest ever club legend. Like this, the standards should be so much higher, and they're not even like being savvy in in the way like Milan is, right? For example, because it's just an easier example, or you go to Liverpool, or Izzy Alkmaar is just another one as well, where their transfer policies are, listen, I get it, clubs are going to want to purge you and get the most money out of you when you're a Premier League club, simply for the fact that they have the most money, right? And they're going to be able to demand that, that's the sort of leverage that they have. But at the end of the day, they're not making savvy moves in and out everywhere, right? Like, how many times are they... Like Lacazette wasn't an awful signing, but now the guy's going to be turning 30 in May. He's declined massively. Aboumayang already in his 30s. I mean, they signed William, who who's had a major injury to his legs within the recent, like within the past, like 24 months or so. Like, you know, this, like look at what they're doing. These wages are astronomical. They can't figure out the Oatsil situation. Like they, they handle things so poorly on a PR perspective as well, that it's, you're not even going to be able to get quality players in their young quality players because the environment's a disaster. So forget about the transfer policies, forget about the money that you're bringing in. They don't have a stable environment. When we were talking about Arsenal 12 to 14 years ago, you knew what you were going to be getting. It's one of the best clubs in Europe. They're going to be competing in the champions league, playing some of the best football around, have great recruitment. How many, how many of those qualities can we say Arsenal have today? They have zero. They have their name. And that's all we fucking got. That's it. And, and you know what? It, it bothers me because, because this club shouldn't be there. And, and I think, and I would get mad if, if you know, Juve is struggling like this and they're on their, their own worst enemy to an extent, because at the end of the day, the sport is just better when Arsenal is a real quality team and they're in the champions league, right? Like there's just no doubt about it. They have one of the best fan bases. They absolutely deserve 10 times better than what they're getting. And you know what? They look like suckers and eventually they're going to come out, Matt, and they're not going to support this shit. And, And I mean this as in, They're not going to want to show up to games when fans are allowed back in the stadium. They're not going to be watching as much. They're not going to be purchasing the, the, the jerseys and kits. They're not going to be, you know, showing their support on social media. Like you you just look at how toxic, toxic it is. The most, the thing that Arsenal is most well known, known for at this point, besides like losing in, in terrible fashion, a lot of the times is their fans being irate and being memes. Like, that is not what you want to identify with. Like, right, Matt? Like, you come over here in America and you bring up Arsenal as someone. Arsenal fan TD. AFTD. Like, that's one of the first things that pops up. It's Thierry Henry, Arsene Wenger, you know, the Van Persie situation when he left too. And Van Persie was talking about how their ambitions were spot off. It was about commercial revenue. It wasn't about winning trophies on the field. It, it seems like the club is almost satisfied with the FA Cup runs and winning those FA Cups. Where's the big fucking trophies to compete for the title? Like, that's where you should be. Aren't you embarrassed by this? That Spurs is levels ahead of them, man. They are way better. And it's not even close. And it's just play style. It's recruitment. It's the environment. Um, even even publicity-wise, they're doing way better. And, and they come across as much more savvier and smarter. And you know what? And, and it's just, it's just sad. 
It really is because I think it's going to get worse. I like, cause, cause here's the situation. They're going to be sticking with Arteta. They're going to have more growing pains, right? But if you fire Arteta, then what does it say about the club? Because what manager is going to want to go over there, take over that situation. Granted, he'd probably get a great salary, right? But who's going to have the scenario that he's going to be in the situation where he's allowed to have control of this. He's going to be allowed to make mistakes and have the team struggle where they get better. I don't see that happening. Like it's, and we know how the Cronkies operate, man. And if there's anyone that knows it better than anyone else, it's the Americans here that see their franchises and the way they operate. They're pathetic. There's some of the worst owners around. And I think they're just like to have it as their play toy. I know we discussed that. And I know we have to move on soon because we want to get to other topics, but I, I genuinely think they're that big of a deal because it's an issue for world football and European football when Arsenal struggling like this. And it's not, you know, struggling is a kind word. This is an embarrassment. And you know what? It shouldn't be accepted and something needs to be done because this is just, you know, I, I, I can't, I like, there's just so many points and I know it's not our club, but this is, it's just pathetic. And we, and we have to call them out for it. And you know what? We're Arsenal friendly podcast. Obviously we're friendly to many clubs and all clubs, I would say. This is embarrassing, and it's the most pathetic thing going on in Europe right now, in my opinion, and in European football, for that matter. Um, And they need to figure it out soon, and there isn't much else left to say on that topic. So we'll move over to one of the more disappointing teams in Germany, um, league-wise, and that's Dortmund. They're hitting a bit of a snag, man. Lucien Favre's gone now. He's just been sacked. Erling Haaland's been injured. They did advance. They won their group in the Champions League, as we mentioned earlier. Right move by them? I think so. I think they were underperforming. This was a team that, in my opinion, should have been going down to the wire with Bayern Munich for the title. Right now, it's Leverkusen and Leipzig playing much better than they are, even Gladbach. Um, So for me, with all the talent in the world that they have, why are they struggling like this? Was it the? It was clearly the right move to sack Farber. What are they able to pull off, especially with Holland out? I don't know. Like they were giving five goals up in a game, Matt, to Stuart. Like that, you can't do that. I, you, again, yeah. this is yeah, it's, it's 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 a really disappointing side. It's you know, and they're a club that you know everyone sings the praises of, including us, right? Because I think they do. They have such a you know uh, intriguing transfer policy as far as scouting players and bringing in you know fresh talent after selling their best talent, right? And they've it done well on that front. And, and while also, you know, staying on course and staying as consistent as they've been as a top team in Germany and a team that can make some deep runs in the Champions League. But you look at this year and it, it feels like it's, if any year, if, this, if there would be any year for a club to take a step back to just kind of have things unravel after being pretty, pretty, pretty consistent overall, it would be this one, right? You know, whether it be injuries, whether it be COVID, whether it be just sort of lacking that sort of excitement, that energy that you look for in a lot of the players, because I think you know, it, look at what happened is perfect example. Look what happened with Sancho. I think you, he was phenomenal last year. He was maybe next to Holland and Mbappe. I mean, top three, you had 21 players in the world easily. I mean, the, easily. he was putting up goals and assists. He 2020 was, season. He was, yeah, exactly. He was the name that everyone was talking about. And it was, it was not a matter of if it was um, when he's making that big move to the next step. And, he wanted, he wanted to go to Manchester United. Dortmund didn't sell. They kind of held, you know, they kind of, you know, st- were stood firm on their asking price. And 
you're seeing it right now that he's not being able to get past that. It seems I'm not going to say it's strictly down to that because I think, you know, look, you're a professional. You have to show up. You have to produce despite what's happening off the field. You know, perfect example, you know, even I don't want to keep you know, going back to Milan, but Hakan, he's got a contract situation. You know, that's something that's been a hot topic, but he still has to show up. He still has to play and he's still playing pretty well. And he's a key player. You rely on your key players to get you through these delicate moments and phases of the season that you know, Borussia Dortmund are in. And it, it, it just lacks it. It seems as though the players have kind of not lost interest, but there seems to be a real disconnect as far as what the players are trying to do and the coaches are trying to do. And then them having a meeting of minds and buying it, buying in ultimately. And sometimes you get a great reaction out of this. You know, you, you mentioned in the previous segment, Martino, how Bayern Munich or in the, 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 the draw with, with uh, Bayern Munich, how they brought Hansi Flick mid, midstream last year. And what that do that proved to be, you know, a stroke of genius on their part because they, I think they went undefeated, right? I don't think they lost a single match the rest of their season in all competitions. And obviously they won the triple. So there's still time for Dortmund to turn this thing around. I mean, they got the personnel. I think there's a lot of um, inconsistencies in, 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 in the German Bundesliga. There's a lot of quality, I, I will say that. And there's a lot of depth as far as the amount of teams that can do something special in that league. But I think there's definitely room for Borussia Dortmund to kind of catch fire, get this thing back on track to at least uh, be somewhat close to what we saw last year and not challenge for a title, but, you know, secure their Champions League spot for next season. You'll get some of their players to pick up form, specifically Sancho um, and many others that are maybe kind of, you know, falling behind in that regard. But yeah, it's a weird situation. And I think it just goes to show you that football, once again, is cyclical. Not all things can kind of just you be ending in, in a fairy tale fashion. And, you know, look, you were hoping maybe the purists in the game were hoping, or maybe a team like, you know, Borussia Dortmund can win the German Bundesliga and make a deep run. But I think at the end of the day, it just goes to show you that, you know, there's a stark contrast between clubs that are just so well-oiled, have such a great uh, management structure, and top to bottom just seem to push the right buttons always. And I think Bayern Munich are one of those clubs that strictly – are amongst the best if not the best um at the current at the current state of football we're in so yeah we'll we'll have to wait and see if they can turn it around who who um you know if anyone can turn it around and and ultimately where they where they stand in both domestic and european competition yeah um no doubt about it they need to figure their situation out i think they have the talent to do it uh maybe it's just a fresh start for them they need to get it turned around fast because they can't keep doing this without Holland. And if they're Holland dependent, um, I think it's really going to make things difficult. And with that release clause looming, I don't know. They're, fa- they're facing some interesting situations. And Pet Pet was, you know, very curious as to their transfer, you know, policy with the whole Hakimi situation and what they did to replace him and all that stuff. So obviously we're going to have to, see how that unfolds over time. We do have one more story that's probably going to be, you know, confirmed within the coming weeks or so that, that we know of with Fabrizio Romano in the Bundesliga. And that's Dominic Sabazlai, one of the most heavily sought after players on the transfer market in all of Europe and the world. Um, 25 million uh, euro release clause, lighting it up in the Champions League all the time in um, at Salzburg in the league as well staying with their I guess father club or whatever the hell you want to call it Uh, I hate I hate that this is like a thing that they're all Red Bull and their players are just going to be transferring there and just going to step up 
It's just really embarrassing. This is a this is a great transfer for them. If we're just strictly talking about you know playing itself, did it, there isn't a, probably a better fit for him. This move just made a lot of sense. It's the perfect step up. Obviously, Arsenal was in the mix. We just spent twenty five minutes on why that wouldn't be a good situation for him. So there you have that. It doesn't seem like Milan are going to be in the move from him. With all the reports, I know Napoli was linked over the summer as well. Again, this is like one of those talented players that you know small relatively small release clause that you got to jump on now before it costs 60 70 million in a couple years and um i think this is a great move for them again just you know they're playing so well we thought oh they lost timo Werner. what are they going to do now they lost jamie last january still fine still producing they understand their philosophy they kept upa meccano matt this is just the way they work they're a well-oiled machine they run well whether or not you like them for whatever reasons as a club and the whole Red Bull corporation situation as well. This is just a home run move for, for mm-hmm. RB Leipzig. Um, yeah. So, I mean, just speak to it real quick before we move on. And uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's a great move. I, I was, you know, I was hoping for a uh, state of play Derby between Arsenal and Milan for his signature. Ultimately, we but all lose, I think yeah. as I saw, <laughs> As I saw things kind of play out and progress with the sort of uh, situation with his his next move, it kind of became a little bit uh, obvious that, you know, Leipzig was just the kind of the ideal spot for him as far as being the next step, right? I think, you know, there's a familiarity with, within that sort of network, uh, the RB network and, and how they operate and how they kind of like to uh, kind of keep players on that same sort of um, career path, if you will. And when you see Sabazlai, I think, look, he's he's been doing it for multiple seasons and he's been doing it in the Champions League as well, which is a very big key element when you look to bring in a player and spend, for all intents and purposes, in my opinion, for at least for as far as leaps go, a significant amount of money for a player, right? They're not a club that is going to splash 40, 50, 60 million on a player. So when they spend 25 to 30, which I think his clause is, I think, around 25, you know, you have to hit, you have to strike on that. And when when you when we're speaking on Zabazla and what he's able to do, I think he's uh, first off as great end product. I mean, you see his goal goal and assist numbers. He's he puts up really gaudy numbers. Got good feet. He's quick. He's a player that is more fit for the modern game. Obviously, of being able to you know, play fast and, and play more direct. He's very clinical in space. He can make those passes that you need in the final third to the strikers and you know be creative and do all the things necessary to unlock opposing side so when I look at this transfer it's a slam dunk for them this is a a wonderful talent he's one of the best young talents in world football at the moment he's taken massive strides in the past year Um, and it's a testament to what Salzburg do as a club as far as being able to usher a long talent right because we saw it with Erlen Holland I think he was tied on goals in the group stage last year with Lewandowski and people were a little maybe suspect of him. Not, maybe not so much, but hey, Salzburg to Borussia Dortmund, it's a different ball game, it's a different competition. And what does he do? He's just, he's even better. So when you look at Sabazlai and you kind of just see how he plays and how he operates, this is a this is a wonderful move. And I'm looking forward to seeing him, um, you know, progress in his career and be able to take that next step because I think he's a really special talent. Yeah. Um, it's really hard to go against that. And uh, he's he's so good. And no, listen, it's just another home run business as usual for them. And then we're going to probably be having this conversation 40 episodes from now, maybe, maybe a little bit later talking about uh, what club is next up for him. Um, so, yeah. So, so we'll see what happens there. Papu Gomez, Matt, 
<clears throat> excuse me. What what a weird situation. The whole environment at Atalanta right now is just odd. Hearing the locker room situation and how there was rumors that Gasparini was was uh, handing in his resignation, but the club wouldn't accept it. So now it's really Papu versus Gasparini, and and the club is siding with Gasparini. And I totally understand where they're coming from in this situation because Papu Gomez is 32 years of age. Um, there was rumors that he was probably going to go out to um, you know just a lower league club just to get a ton of money and high wages. The club here, listen, it's no it's no secret about my sentiments and feelings towards Gasparini. I don't think he's the darling that everyone thinks he is. I don't think he's the classiest kind of guy that um, you want leading your team, but he's a hell of a coach. And what he's done over there has been unbelievable. And it's been proven the past few years, ever since they've been making their Champions League runs um, and their Serie A runs as well, is that they're a well-oiled machine. Whoever they place in for somebody, they play great but they never had to replace their captain. They never had to replace one of their, probably their best player, probably their best ever player as well. And if you're going to get a guy who is motivated now and might want to force a move to a a Milan or a Napoli or a Roma, that's going to screw them out of their top four spot that they were aiming for because they did not get off to a great start. They're still going to be in the Champions League competition as well because they advanced this is this is bad and what does it say about your environment that you know at this point Atalanta is more so coming to a stepping stone instead of a club that's just winning trophies right and and listen they've done great businesses no doubt about it their wage bill is just amazing um, relative to the results that they put out there but losing your leader like this Having it, having the locker room split like this, but nobody's really discussing it, probably because they don't want to, you know, get in the middle of it. Duvan Zapata's not playing that great. Their defense is just trash. I, it's not quality defense to win any trophies, in my opinion. We know they usually turn it on around this time of year where they go nuclear. That's what happened the first time they made the Champions League in the top four. Mm-hmm. For me, Matt, I think this is really bad um, move and situation for Atalanta. And if Papu Gomez, you know, can be had by one of the competing top four sides in Italy, which I, I really do think it can come down to the point where he's going to want to stay in Italy. And if they want to get rid of him, Napoli or Milan, in my opinion, have to step in here because if you do that, that solidifies top four. Like you're guaranteed to go in there because there isn't a playmaker in my opinion. Um, in the league, that's better right now. I, I, I really I really do believe that uh, in terms of all goal contributions. I understand, like, I'd rather have Lukaku, uh, Ibra, Cristiano Ronaldo, Immobile in terms of the goal scoring, but a guy who can score and assist as much as he does, I don't think there's anyone that you can get for six to eight million in the world. So that, that was the rumored price, by the way. I think, I think it would be a home run for a club and a huge strikeout with the bases loaded for Atalanta because this could be a downward spiral of them missing Champions League and so on and so forth. I think there's the, the, the big thing here that's worth looking at is, I mean, Atalanta are on a team where, oh, well, if they miss out on top four this year or, hey, they have enough uh, 
quality in other areas to compensate or, or, or effectively make up for the production and lack of Papa Gomez in the squad. They're a team that relies on the system and they rely on a lot of the players and the trust from the, the, those who make the decisions as far as scouting and transfers go, but also from their coach. It feels like when you take one sort of element out of their team, it can have such a trickle-down effect and the reaction can be so negative amongst the rest of the squad that they're not able to recover. And this year, unlike what we've seen in previous years, for the most part, yes, they've been very strong and they've you know obviously scored amongst the best in Europe, which is truly impressive, as you mentioned, you know, relative to what they – pay out for players the production they get from those players is truly remarkable and it's, it shows tremendous efficiency on the market right and ultimately structuring their wage bill to the point where they can get the most and squeeze the most out of every player that they have on their squad however i think if you take out papa from the equation i mean i have his numbers in front of me i tweeted this out yesterday since 2015-2016 in Serie A competition mind you not europa league which i think they made it once and then the, the couple champions league runs they've had Seven goals, 10 assists in 34 appearances. 16 goals, 11 assists in 37 appearances. Six goals, nine assists in 33 appearances. Seven goals, 11 assists in 35 appearances. And seven goals and 16 assists in 36 appearances last year. I mean, you're not, to your point, you're not finding that production that often on the market, let alone in January. I mean, if you're under 10 million perspective. If you're put to put to put this into perspective, Papu Gomez with that production, the fact that he's a captain to this team, and the fact that he gets paid, I'm 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 throwing a number out here as far as wages because I know he doesn't get paid a fraction of what Hakan's asking and some of the other top players um, in Serie A get paid. He's making what two and a half million, three million a year maybe, around there. I mean that production's phenomenal. You're getting the intangibles of a leader. You're getting. The, the, the ability to, to rally a lot of players and to, much like what we're seeing on a, on a lower grade, lower scale, the Ibrahimovic, help players grow. Because I think we've seen that with Pop, where he's made players a lot better. Specifically, I think Duvon Zapata has grown a lot of it, uh, quite a bit, having that, that big little tandem that they have at Atalanta to play off that striker, to, be the, to make those runs, to make that final ball happen. And I think if you're Milan and you see that he's available for six, seven million in January, we can get him on really friendly wages. The the, the club we're taking him, him from will take a hit. We can kind of you'll give a little. It's bit not going to be an absurdly are, long contract, too. For top four, right? And you look at the kind of the factors that play into a transfer here. I think he does stay in Italy. I know there was uh, I know Chloe Beresford who tweeted something out yesterday. She's very reliable. She's she's fantastic mm-hmm. at what she does as she's far as writing content yeah. for Calcio. Give her a follow. The big Fiorentina person, but you know she she's really she's really reliable and she knows she knows her stuff. She said that there was a little bit of a connection or there was an attempt being made by FC Cincinnati and MLS to convince Papu Gomez. Me, if I'm him, I'm not uprooting my family midstream through a pandemic and a season to go to Cincinnati. No offense to those who are from Cincinnati. I'm sure it's a wonderful place. <laughs> Has but to be over 10 million. He's in the Champions League right now. He's in the yeah. Champions League and could be potentially playing in the Champions League next year again if Atalanta could turn this around. And he still has a lot to offer. He's not and should not go to MLS at this stage of his career. If Milan are knocking, Inter even are knocking, because I don't think they're getting the same production out of Lautaro Martinez this year. He can play as a second striker. He can play wide. He can do so many different things from a technical standpoint and a positional standpoint and his versatility as a player to really, you know, 
you know, be a huge influence in the race for a title, maybe potentially, mm-hmm. but also in the conversation for top four. I mean, he's a true difference maker. This isn't just some guy to round out your squad. He's a, he joins Inter. I mean, may, will he start? Maybe, but I think if he joins Milan, he can play out wide. He can play behind the striker. You can do two strikers up front, up front. And if you want, you can play him behind Ibrahimovic. So you can do so many different things with this guy. He's more of like a gadget player. And those are the types of players that I think, you know, Milan look at. I know they typically are looking for a more younger profile, mm-hmm. but I think if there's the opportunity to make a really sound and really true deal in January for Papu Gomez at his wages, at his fee, and the fact that he has familiarity with the league and he's just he's just quality and he's still 30, only 32, then I think Maldini will make it. But I think he stays in Serie A and I'm really, really curious to see if he does, how he's able to impact um, the second half of the season for any of the clubs that, you know, are potentially interested in for him. If they smell blood in the water and Maldini approaches Elliot, obviously I know we're talking, like Napoli could easily do this as well, but I think it's more likely that Milan could pull this off and you never know with Roma with uh, Friedkin and all of them maybe they want to make a splash um, because they've done pretty well and Paolo Fonseca I think has done arguably the best job in Italy or one of the better jobs they're going to jump on it and me and you know Milan they've talked about this this has been in interviews they understand that they do need a mix of veteran leadership and there isn't going to be a better leader out there in my opinion um that can get them over the hump. Like he's hungry, man. This guy wants a trophy too. Like they could, if they do this, I think it's a lock for top four. You weaken a competitor, obviously with Atalanta. They play Hubei tomorrow and then Milan play Genoa. So again, that's another three points. They have yet to play each other. Like this is, this is really disastrous. And I understand where Atalanta is coming from and they're not making this short-sighted move that gets rid of their manager opposed to sticking with a 32-year-old player, albeit it's their best ever player. Um, you know, this is this is an opportune time. And and we'll see what happens. I'm not sure what Napoli's situation is in terms of the finances. I think, if anything, they might reinvest in a left back, probably another midfielder. I think but they Roma don't have that much. Too. So who, is it Roma, you said? I think Roma are in play for him too. I don't yes. see PSG. Yes. I mean, he just, I don't know no, if he would I don't see the, PSG. the type of move PSG would want to make. I feel that if they're near enough for Messi, they're going for another Argentine. Yeah, I could see, I see him staying and I think it, it could be between three teams. I think Milan, Inter and Roma, because I think Roma, they are doing pretty well this season under Paulo Fonseca. They seem to have got like a grasp and stronghold on things and, a, and it kind of control of what they want to do. But I think if you can add a player like Papu, I think that can ultimately be such a huge impact on that squad. Um, amongst, of course, the other clubs, right? As I mentioned, he's mm-hmm. he'll be a welcome addition to any of them. But if you're Papu Gomez, real quick before we wrap this up, where would you want to go and play? And honestly, like I think Napoli's a lock for top four. They're more dependent and reliable for it. There's still a lot of question marks with Milan because everyone's waiting for the slip up, even though they haven't yet. It's just eleven games. But if if I'm him, I don't think there's a better club to stick it to Atalanta than going to Milan. I, I truly believe that regional wise it's a lot closer they've obviously had these heated races for top four something that you know like Napoli and Atalanta they don't have these battles that Milan and Atalanta do right same can be said with Roma this like that's the move that he would want to 
go to a club if you know he wants to stay in Italy, which I do think he does. Um, I, I really, I, I see it. I see it. And the clubs don't have a bad relationship in terms of the transfers. You know, Mattia Caldara going there, obviously the Kessier move, uh, the Andrea Conti. Maybe there's some deal involving Andrea Conti going back to his former club. Maybe revitalizing him, adding more depth on the defensive side of stuff. And they kind of get a loan swap of some sorts and then revisit it in the summer, you know, 18-month loan swaps. They have a situation with Mattia Caldara. Maybe they lower the price on that and renegotiate it because it was at 15 million euros and might go lower now because he got hurt again. So for me, I think, I think, um, you know, this is, this is an opportune time for one of the the clubs that could smell, you know, blood in the water. If, you know, Juve or Inter keeps stumbling, um, you know, I mean, hell he could go to Inter too, but it doesn't really make much sense. I don't think the environment's as great as uh, Napoli and Milan at the moment. I truly don't, even though they're playing well, they're only in second place. So I just, I truly think it's going to be, I would put the order, it's going to be Milan and Napoli, kind of a battle for it. Roma lurking in the shadows. Inter could, depending on what they do with Ericsson, but Ericsson's getting that start against Napoli again. I think they truly want to work that out. So, yeah. And Papu Gomez fits him perfectly on the right side, Matt. It's Thauvin, right? With Marseille or Marseille or Papu Gomez. So we'll see what transpires. Obviously, there's got a couple more weeks before we get into the January transfer market. But Matt, before we head on out here, we need you to plug everything for yourselves at Matt underscore Santangelo, correct? Any other work coming up soon for Football Italia or anything else? Um, Yeah, I, I think I'm going to be getting back on my writing form here. I've taken a, a couple of weeks off, but I've been putting out pretty consistent content for football Italia. So yeah, just, just make sure you guys are following me on Twitter, as you mentioned at Matt underscore Santangelo. Um, I've had a recent podcast appearance um, with total football analysis, chatting all things Serie A Milan. So make sure you guys go check out my feed. I just retweeted it there, but yeah, just follow me on Twitter. That's where I give all my updates on what I'm working on, any uh, podcast appearances and just um, yeah. Anything that's exciting happening in the world of uh, football for me. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Martino Puccio. Uh, do the Milan post-match review. He's going to get back to that uh, today, actually, excuse me, because we're recording on Tuesday, but uh, we're going to be re- releasing this on Wednesday. So tons of midweek matchups there. Um, enjoy all of those. Please follow Pet Barisha. We need to get Pet. You know, he's down in the dumps. Arsenal's dog shit. He still hasn't reached 1,000 followers. You guys could simply do that. He's 12 away. He's right there. He He's earned this. He needs to finish the year uh, on a better note. Um, other than that, guys, thank you so much for all the support. Again, it's so great to win an award like that. And hopefully we get nominated and uh, win some more in the future as well. Other than that, just listen to some more themes.